Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Foy and Dr. Drew. Here we are. Hey, buddy, welcome to another This Life with Bob Forrest Dr. and Drew. Dr. Drew and our guest today, Dr. Bruce Heischober. Gosh, you have an FM radio sound. There. Funny, funny how that works. There it is. Uh, but Bruce uh, Bruce has been around forever with me. He's helped out a love line for years. He's, he's some known as Dr. Spaz on the Corolla Network, those of you who are Corolla fans. Uh, he's been on Lynette's podcast and Adam's podcast. You know, you're there all the time. There's nowhere I haven't been he's just in never this family. To, he just never learned how to use a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All right. these years on the mic, and he's still talking on the mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm learning. There you go. But so, the, the yeah. topic of the day is that thing I sent you last night. Yeah. 47,000 Americans going to die of opioid overdose yeah. death in 2015. You see that, no. Oh, oh well, the, yeah. The I think CDC I actually, thing. Okay. Right? That, that the opioid deaths are still climbing, climbing, climbing. Right. And Bob and I have been struggling with this, you know, getting people aware of this for over a decade. Because we saw we saw this coming. when it went to ten thousand, I, I was like, somebody's going to do something now. I kept saying this is a tsunami. This is a tsunami. You don't understand. And then now we've got Scott Weiland who died of Suboxone Clonopin. That's what Ooh. he died of. But it's not even being reported. It's cocaine. It's being reported because he had cocaine and MDA in his system. Oh, that's what killed him. But of course, you don't die of stimulants, and he didn't die of a heart attack. Didn't die of a stroke. He died of stopping breathing. What he yeah. t- what he took to come down from the coke. Is what he died of. So, but alcohol in the system too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cocaethylene, which is directly cardiotoxic, which but, is the most dangerous thing. Like, just from an ER standpoint, when I hear coke, alcohol, then cocaethylene, I think of. And you think of arrhythmias. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't call it arrhythmic death. They just called it. You found know, them on the bus. Call them as a drug overdose. Interesting. Yeah. See, yeah. as you know, I'm an I'm a Suboxone fan. Suboxone, you have the least respiratory depression unless you put clonopin in there oh sure well okay. you know that's the thing that's crazy is uh, why do people give benzos with the, the uh, tuboxone uh, it's problematic but is someone if someone has social phobia panic attacks and they are being prescribed stay home Xanax six milligrams a day by a psychiatrist Ugh. And they are, well, what do you do with somebody that's ta- using heroin, they're seeing a psychiatrist and getting Xanax, and they come to see you as an addiction we medicine. Take physician. him off everything, <laughs> get him off all that. Right. For sure. Okay. And, I mean, because he's going to die. Again, the paucity of high-functioning dual diagnosis programs. There, to me, what's happening, and I, you know, I'm older than I'd like to say, but over the last 30 years of doing addiction medicine, it seems like we've gone backwards yes. in oh, terms absolutely. of treatment. Yeah, and, a thousand percent. Right. And programmatically, if I want a program for high-functioning individuals that have, and I'm, again, I think because UCLA. of UCLA. Well, yeah. right, I, we can't all what? go to UCLA. But, but you no, know, but the UCLA outpatient services is amazing. Yeah. The problem is, you know, where do you where do you live and where do you go there? Then you go to the sober livings that are around that area. They now have a hotel at UCLA that you can stay at and go to the outpatient. Did you know that? Did not know that. But but you're saying, tell me, take me backwards. Why are we going backwards? Okay, I think that thirty years ago there were care units. There was a financial incentive to to, to have an early diagnosis. Find anybody out there that has a substance abuse issue. That's private pay with uh-huh. insurance and Medicare. And I think that subsequently insurance companies got wise to it and it became, if you're in withdrawal, you meet medical criteria for admission. There there were very few beds available for traditional. When I was covering for you, I mean, I I don't know, I quit or you fired me, but I'd, <laughs> I'd go in there and it was like the first day someone was admitted, uh, they'd want criteria for continued stay before they even got there virtually right. so yeah. it became almost impossible to hospitalize so right. it seems like in in the last 15 years what's happened it's uh there's not the treatment that was available for adolescents formal treatment right because insurance started not to cover it unless there was a medical indication right so, so there's no business model so people stop doing it right and i feel like people now that are getting into treatment are far sicker yeah 
uh, more advanced. They're everybody's dual or tri-diagnosed, but with the substance abuse. I like and, that tri-diagnosed. Yes. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, Multi-diagnosed, with, we call that. Right, and with the, uh, the, they're going into a tailspin, their psychiatric issues become more complex to what deal with. What about their fu- the ability to function in society in general if you don't have addictive disorder for young people? It's almost impossible in Los Angeles. That's been my thing that I've been trying to get Drew on board with for two or three years. There's no way to have a life in Los Angeles making $14 an hour. There's no way to have a place to live, food to eat, car insurance, a cell phone. So we're sending 20-somethings out into a world as, as the parents that, that we don't know. There's no way to make it. Well, and then let's smoke some pot to deal with the, yeah. the issues that that creates. And, let, and again, I'm seeing more and more. Uh, to try to cope with the fact that they feel they can't function, there's no hopeless. way, there's hopelessness. Yeah. And even in the medical model, I won't say the organization I work for, but we're struggling with individuals that may have chronic pain, may have other issues that come in with marijuana cards. And there's, it's what do we do with all these people? And there's, you know, do you put them all in, in drug treatment or then they have physicians supporting the use, whether it's for anxiety or, and to me, cannabis is just such a potent drug today. But but my thing is, I don't care if it's cannabis, Vicodin, or Xanax. Right. It's all physician-supported. At some level. Destruction, destruction of these people. Right. What about a new screening tool? What about more, I know people don't like this, but more along the lines of surrendered, and and non-surrendered and non-surrendered go on a certain track that tries to break down denial or just accommodate you divide that already already who's going to pay for that who's going to pay for that they're already paying they're paying for outpatient for all these people they really are there's 300 outpatients in los angeles basin you don't think they're making money they're all making money they're all for profit outpatient program right like dual Dual. they 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 bill both you get a psychiatrist to see the kid and they bill on that side but it's all drug treatment outpatient and they're getting twelve hundred dollars a day eight hundred dollars a day right so i mean are you talking insurance-based yeah insurance-based programs all across los angeles the kids live in sober living they go to outpatients um and and they bill out out of network insurance Right, the kids get shabby care at best, right? And the idea is, it's mostly unsurrendered addicts who want to continue to use. So why don't we have a category for that, rather than insist they be abstinent? Or you mean harm reduction? Well, I would think you would screen out those. You would. He means like motivational enhancement. Okay. He's like, how do you get people from using to safer using to not using? Right, that's what he's right. Is that what you're advocating? I'm saying, listen, you're you're wasting billions of dollars giving drug treatment to children who don't want it because the parents don't are disappointed in the outcomes of their children. That's what I see. That's what I deal with all the time in Los Angeles. Thousands of kids from all over the United States have flown out here with one-way air tickets from Florida, from Illinois, from Nebraska. One-way air tickets that the treatment centers pay for. And then they enroll them in out-of-network benefits. They have no intention of being sober. They don't want to be sober. They're unsurrendered. The treatment is shabby. And then they get kicked out of the program. And they're out here from Illinois. And they have nowhere to go. So then they go to another program in Orange County or San Bernardino. You know, I'm a little speechless because I think you're maybe you're dealing with the 1%. No, no, no. These are what insurances class. cover this? And in, in my Aetna, Blue Cross, Blue Shield of Pennsylvania. But where are those programs? They're not. But they're, that's all. Yeah, that is sort of the one percent, though. That's not the Obamacare crowd. No. Yeah. Uh, see, but right now, uh, no. You know who? I can tell you who the. You want to know who the who the clientele is? It's uh, anybody in a union's children, people from Chicago uh, sanitation unions, people from New York City's uh, unions, school teachers, a lot of teachers' kids. Okay, my issue, what I'm saying, though, more fundamentally is I think there's less of a catchment of the of individual, just across the board at high school level, there is not the awareness of addiction. I think there's ongoing use that's uh, co-signed yep. by society yep, of use for of, sure. of, of club drugs, of passage, for sure. smoking pot. And I think there are people that are getting way down the line before anybody yep. diagnoses addictive disorder. Yep. That's That's my issue. And it's... 
in the it, I was in an adolescent program in the late in the eighties, and we were from my small community, Redlands. We filled a unit. We had a waiting list because we were working with and, and these. Uh, we would do evaluations on Medi-Cal kids, everybody. Now, we didn't hospitalize them, all the med- We had a couple of beds. But the point is, I think there was more of an awareness. And the the tolerance for pot smoking was, I think, a lot less at that time. Now, it's really, you know, Norco is what, second or third most commonly abused drug at the high school level. Opiates, yep. Yeah. So, I, I just don't see that we're picking up on. And the, I work for an organization that, that covers a lot of lives in Southern California, and we have a significant part of that population. We're not even getting referrals from primary care. We're not seeing adolescents referred because I think it's just a matter of, you know, smoking pots, you know, acceptable. So I don't. Well, doing doing all drugs is like a rite of passage. The, now kids are not even being busted for heroin in Hollywood. Yeah. They, they just throw it on. They rub it in the ground and, and tell the kids to beat it. Beat it. Right, just like pot was in the seventies or eighties, when you'd hear stories, that's what's happening with opioids. Right, because there's no we've decided we don't want to put these people in jail, right? So there's a permissiveness in society about drug use for sure, right? Yeah, and so, but I I see a lot of kids getting drug treatment. I see, I have three of them living with me. They're nineteen, twenty, and twenty two, and. Uh, there's a there's a real there's an industry booming in Los Angeles exploiting out of network benefits giving shabby care and housing people in sober livings and billing their insurance and billing for drug tests $1000 a drug test $500 a drug test it's unbelievable what's going on they're popping up everywhere there's four of them in Santa Monica right right so let's talk about what we think early the, diagnosis what is the problem what do we think the problem is what, why is this all happening? I think it's a well. Again, I think there's Just lack per- of cons- lack of concern, and there's a, there's an acceptance of substance use, and I think it's done in a. I, I just think the the society, the culture at high school age and junior high age, but it, it's is, it's actually when you look at the data, it's not as bad as it was in the seventies. It's still not that bad. It's better than you know. It, it's not. It's worse than it was ten years ago. But it's not as we never. We still haven't gotten as bad as it was in the seventies. Now, the what is being used is more far more right. potent. Uh, to me, the marrow, the pot, and the opiates, and the op- pot yeah. and opiates are, are the a big, huge problem. The, big I think problem. the number but I of think individuals parents, that parents also want to be their kids' best friends. So there's a permissiveness permissiveness in the house between the parents and the teenagers. That as long as they're doing all right in school, as long as they're not doing heroin, as long as there's a slippery slope there. I just dealt with it last week. 13-year-old boy smoking marijuana. Mom saw him, didn't object to it. Uh, other family members saw it and were outraged. And she's, the parent, mom said to me, like, well, I don't want him out in the fucking bushes smoking it and yeah. hiding from me. Right. So yeah. so there's a new parenting going on. There's a new higher potency going on. Definitely in marijuana. I don't care how many people are smoking. Then, then we have multi-generational disrupted families now. We have multi-generational trauma going on. We, and we have clinicians prescribing the... That's where you started this conversation. You know, who needs six milligrams of Xanax for social phobia or whatever it was you were saying well if you're smoking I crack mean, you got a lot of social well phobia. that's the point is that, <laughs> that most physicians you know do not even understand what addiction is they couldn't identify it and they certainly would only react with confusion and probably horror if they were s- stuck dealing with it right they, they didn't know how to confront or deal with patient they just give the patient sort of what they want as much as anything don't they they do um it, Again, the organization I work with, I'm on a committee. We meet every week, and we have every individual that has over 100 milligram morphine equivalents a day. And why, why should anybody ever get that, given that morphine has never been shown to be useful in chronic pain ever? Well, morphine equivalents, so it could be and Why none of the opiates has ever been shown to be useful for chronic pain ever? Ever. Well, I Every can't. single study. Absolutely, but the, well, now the, they have a drug for your constipation that's no, caused I, but by. Let me let me, let me, by, let me ask the question differently. Addiction. It, right. We have a we have a medication that's highly dangerous. We're using it for heart disease. There's no evidence it does anything for heart disease, but it's killing people. The medicine, but the patient wants it for their heart disease, so we give it to them, even though it kills them and does nothing for their heart. Oh, disease. absolutely, but opiates, same argument. And I think it. 
goes to our generation of physicians. When I started doing emergency internal whatever medicine in the 80s, we were prescribing so much opiate for pain. Okay, so right now, my ER group, a lot of young physicians, well-trained, and there's an awareness there to see an ER physician. There is or is not. They are. They're, they're aware. They're aware How about opiates. Oh, some of them are even you know the opiate screening tool. Great. There's a thirty second tool. So and they know I, what to do once they're. Well, you know, it's like when we get busy. The yeah. ER is a place when it's when it's extremely busy. Yeah. Somebody comes in. I'm guilty of okay. Here's yeah. your twenty Norco. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. but we have a no refill policy. We have a policy you have to see your primary care physician. Do out they refer of, them for drug addiction. Do they discuss abstinence? Do they talk about the fact that for pain, this is not this is time. not a medicine they that don't you use. Just this medicine is not good for pain. It, it, there's a system change going on, and we I, I do see that because we're not. We can say to to the patient. I could say to the patient that I tell them there's. It depends how much time you have, but you're right. When yeah, there's, I understand the time. But, so now that's why there's a heroin but, epidemic right. in America. But listen, but I think ins- medicine, the medical profession, the last three years has done a good job of doing that. Right, cutting and people it's off. cutting it off, and right. now all these kids are primed, and now there's a heroin epidemic right. in that's America right. that was started in the medical community. Probably six, seven, eight, nine, yeah. ten years ago. Well, thirty years ago. But in other words, there there is information we have now we didn't have. And I'm thirty you know, years ago, forty seven thousand people weren't dying of heroin and opioid overdose deaths. No, but so it's when the, you use comparisons like that, that's when everybody goes, Oh, well, it's always been like that. No, it's not always yeah. been like this. No, it's always it was worse. And the There was three thousand people dying thirty years ago. Right. What I'm saying with opiates though, if you look at the history, there was uh, the prescribing delauded i know i was gotten delauded it's gotten better recently it's gotten better recently but there's still that we're looking at patients on 500 900 but but see what i just find insane though is the california medical society put medical association put out a position paper on opiates and said open with there is no evidence that opioids have any utility for the treatment of chronic pain therefore we need to contain the people using too much the the insanity of that logic this medication does not work. Therefore, we got to make people use not too much of it. But keep using it. Keep using it. No evidence it works, but just keep using it. As opposed to, we need to get everybody off of this drug and into treatment for their primary condition, which is addiction and trauma, which is... I there, When I took... I, I'll, I'll never forget this. But you know we have to take those end-of-life and pain management oh, courses. You know, California requires this for licensing to keep these certain number of hours of these courses up. First one I went to, the director of the pain management program got up and said, funny thing about our chronic pain patients... 98% of them have a history of sexual, sexual physical abuse. Anyway, let's talk about methadone. So, what? They, what? 98%. It's incredible. And certainly we know that all our pain patients have uh, trauma histories. All of them. And, you know, that's completely unaddressed. Right. It's so 98%. what we have is a perfect storm. And this is, I'm just, just kind of, I'm passionate. I'm sorry. I feel We're overwhelming like, poor Bruce. I, here, yeah, I feel like it. But here's what I think. I think you have a perfect storm of a society that doesn't want people who use heroin in jail anymore, and you have millions of Americans that have been primed, and now, because of the medical profession's counter to overprescribing, is this limited, no-refill prescribing, and you have a heroin epidemic in America like you've never seen before. The government of Vermont is having his whole... State of the Union speech about heroin addiction and how heroin is, is destroying the no in Vermont. No, Bernie, Bernie, yeah. did you see Bernie that, that day talking about opiate addiction? Yeah, opiate yeah, addiction? and I, I sort of resented it because it was. <laughs> what it, are you saying? Yeah, yeah and it was old fashioned. It was two years ago. Everyone said it, ago. it sounded like me. What was it? What did he say? No, he was. Well, he was quoting the forty-seven thousand. He didn't yeah. talk he about. Me, he didn't talk about heroin. Though. Well, what did he say? No, well, he was talking about the basic, the simple message that I understood him to say was there's. Uh, too much prescribing epidemic too much prescribing doctors need to stop prescribing opiates well, which is good but I, mean, I already knew that that already so. happened right okay but what i'm saying drew is i i was involved in an education and i still am we're educating primary care physicians that are medicating for chronic pain yeah so what do you say to the patient because you have patients suing physicians for lack you, of, you have to i know that was the, that's a, what got us into this problem people don't know this everyone forgets this piece that it started in Florida, that's why they had the giant pain clinics there, is that not only were patients suing doctors for, quote, inadequate treatment of pain, they made it a criminal offense to not treat pain adequately, and that was game on after that. Then it became, well, the pain is what the patient says it is. 
That's it. Who are we to say? And they want these medicines. They say it makes them better. Well, who are we to say? That That's where it really got going. That's where it got out of hand. And we still have – the attorneys are now changed their tune. Why are you doing this? So we get some support from the legal community, but the, I'm sure there's ways to document it. I thankfully don't have to do this anymore to document what you're doing so you can't protect yourself against suits and or criminal action. Right. And the other side of it is physicians are being reimbursed based on patient yep. satisfaction. That's so, right. okay, I'll just tell you what I go through in the when we give courses to psychiatry, primary yep. care. The primary care physician, we ident- we have a list, hundreds of physicians, patients, this is the level they're prescribing. And here are the high prescribers and you say, "Okay, you need to get this patient's uh, medication down." Uh, and we have a front door policy where there's one call to, we have psychiatry, addiction, medicine, chronic and pain management. So, so say you have a patient and you say, we need to get you off your 200 milligrams a day of morphine and hundred milligrams for, Not gonna be, then you have to, there should be a, a paper that you submit immediately going, this patient's going to, going to report tremendous discontent, tremendous for, for three months. Yeah, They're so going to be the most that, miserable, awful so, patient. So that that and you do a lot listen to them. Isn't listened yeah. to. Well, yeah, they, they don't listen to this patient because their medical condition makes them complain. So you refer you say, we can offer you detox inpatient yeah. or outpatient. Yeah. And then or they suboxone refuse or suboxone. Well, but they outpatient, refuse that. Outpatient detox. No, they refuse that. They go to the primary and say, I have legitimate pain. I have lumbar. Uh, I have uh, lumbar stenosis or cervical spondylitis or whatever. I, I, I all, have the, all the things. You have, then you start patient education. You should have a patient education program. It goes there's something called hyperalgesia. And there's uh, something oh, called chronic opioid withdrawal syndrome. And this is oh, what yeah, you're going to get My favorite into. topics with patients. Yeah. Yeah. But getting them to come in. And the physician is loath to just say, "Okay, no more." No because more. the pay, you know what the what Bob and I know, we all three know what the patients are like. They, they, they oh get, yeah, they become. I won't pay. I won't wait. So aggressive. I won't wait six minutes for a burrito. So <laughs> if I'm going to wait four <laughs> hours, I want to get something good, <laughs> right? If if you're not going to get anything good, they're not going to come. Right. That's the problem. Well, you want the, that? That would be okay. But then they go. But they're complaining through the internet. They're, you know, I was telling him on a prior show. I say something that's not politically correct about addiction in this once a week thing I do to rehab. I get negative Yelp reviews because Yelp kind of dictates drug treatment and the Uh number for profit. And so I get a negative Yelp. He said that there's no such thing as this or that, or it's all drug addiction or it's all trauma. And who the fuck is he? And I I, I, I would recommend you all to the, uh, (laughs) the, um, so there's negative Yelp reviews on South park about Yelp. Have you all seen the South park about Yelp? It's the trying to get something off Yelp. Yelp. South park about Yelp. Trying to get something off Yelp. The uh, where did Matt and Trey get their ideas for oh this personal experience? I, they're just such geniuses. Yeah, they um, the whole town becomes Yelp reviewers <laughs> and ends up closing all the restaurants <laughs> and things. And they uh, and then they, it comes all the way full circle where they f- start welcoming the Yelp reviewers back, but they have special special concessions for them. And they uh, sing a, a song. <laughs> repeated on, but it's you know. Well, boogers and other bodily excretions end up on their pizza <laughs> carbonara. I love that. Well, I think getting back to the issue, why are so many adolescents getting hooked on opiates? They're 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 experimenting. You're right. It could be their parents' norcos. Yeah, there's or, too much around. There's they're too much around. It. But also, there's a lack of of fear of these. If you, I, you know, if well, you snort you it, know, you can't overdose. Do you still have a board in adolescent medicine? Uh, I haven't paid the money. Okay, but, but you see adolescents. <laughs> Bruce is one of the few people that has an adolescent medicine board certification. And there's a there's a very well done studies that show year after year that the relationship between the probability of a drug use is inversely related to the probability of the, of its doing harm. So if you if you want to look at the the graph on marijuana use, you'll see the actual inverse on probably kids reporting marijuana is harmful. It's the inverse right, right, right. graph. Same thing with opiates. Opiates are good. The use goes up. Opiates are, opiets are dangerous. The use goes down. That, that's, okay, that, so that here's percent, what, smart, I, what I've experienced is parents, two years down the road, the kid's 17 now and strung out on heroin, okay. started with stealing prescription opiates from his mom's cabinet or grandma's or whatever. When you go back with the family, they assumed that, yeah, he was sleepy. Yeah, he was kind of in his room a lot. Yeah, he had a personality change, but they blamed it on pot, which they were permissing. They, oh, right, right, right. You they know, were approving they were of, yeah. approving of. Sure. So thank God he's only on pot. And so the kids hide behind that permissiveness about pot 
to abuse other of opioids in particular. Of course. Right. Of course. And then it's two years down the road, and then the kid comes clean because he's strung out in heroin, and his drug dealer got busted. Right. And he's so naive, he doesn't even know where to get it other than from this one guy. Right. I actually, we've had that two times, three times. Uh, yeah. Where well, the one drug dealer they've always gotten it from got arrested. And so then, they oh, like they panic and they don't know where to get heroin from. Yeah. Well, He's, to me, there's an availability of opiates, whether prescription or not, that's unparalleled in time. Yeah. On, and when yeah. somebody has a biogenetic predisposition yeah. yes. to opiate addiction, they can't, once they try it, it's not like drinking. It takes a much longer time to get into the it's addictive very cycle. Quick, so, very quick. And we know, like you said, we know the percentages of abuse. I mean, the 32nd ER evaluation we can do, it talks about abuse. It talks about addiction history. There are only a couple things. And you know, this person, I should not give him any Norco. They, That's right. Ever. None, Never. Zero. Never. Right. Right. All right. Well, let me tell you about me for a second. I was 19 years old. First opiate I ever took was shooting heroin. Wow. Good for right? you. Right. All but my you, friends, the you, we've, same thing. We've we established you were we very antisocial. No, yeah. It was a whole different every, thing back then. Every one of that 70s generation, that's what you did. Yeah. You found an older guy. You wanted to do it. It was evocative. It was interesting. It was cool. And you wanted to do it. I have never, I have yet to meet a kid who's even started their opiate uh, 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 journey no. with heroin. It's always yeah. with prescription opiates. Of course. So the question is, why are they going to make more of them? Right. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Was that the, how do how did humans get through history without all these opiates? How do other countries do it without all these opiates? It's uh, as you said, it's unprecedented in the history of humanity. The amount of the saturation with opiates. How did we ever? How did we ever get by? Well, as a, as a species, without so much of this miracle drug. Yeah, but medicine is a consumer product. That's the problem. When someone comes to see me in the emergency room, I you know I get a map score, and I are they going to approve of my care and sure you could put drug seeking behavior and it eliminates them but the, there is an expectation in this country of consu based customer on friendly, customer friendliness right and it, and that's more like the hospitality industry than it is like the medical profession yeah i know right i i just i think it's a matter of education and if there's saturation because i get the referrals I mean, I see patients in the ER, and then I'll get a referral from the primary. You call the primary. They'll refer them to addiction medicine. And and I play the Columbo one down. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, well, this is... But, but basically, if you explain to them hyperalgia, opioid-induced hyperalgesia, Which then they go, the why did... Hyperalgesia means the pain gets worse I know. from the opioid. Why did that idiot doctor give me this if so, he knew that? Yeah, That's yeah, malpractice. Right. And I'll go, well, no, we're, we've, we're learning these things. This is something over the last 10 years. And brain plasticity and... And so you educate them, and then you tell them, at least in my experience, we've with our detox program, 75% of chronic pain patients, when they're taken off opiates, have less pain than they had when you started. Uh, now, let me, let me just say that that's towards the end least. of our time at Las Encinas, Bob and I, that's almost all we did was took chronic pain patients off opiates entirely. Amazing. And, and that's almost all we did. And they were all trauma survivors. They were all chronic, right. blah, blah, blah. And the, the absolute... Every single one came in with the same phenomena, which was on a scale of 10, how much is your pain? 10. 10. 15. 15 right, 20. Right. They would right, never say right. 10. No. Always right, 15, right. 18. Okay. And then. They would never say off, less than seven ever. Well, right. all, all off, <laughs> off opiates, two weeks later, they don't even mention the pain. They will only discuss it when evoked. How's your pain? And they'd usually say a four to a six. With just taking them out the opiates, no other yeah. treatment. Yeah, two weeks. Right now, those two weeks were hell. I mean, they were bad, and their pain escalates during the withdrawal too. It gets really bad. Have and you, those are the ones going to the administration and complaining and all that stuff? Have you ever given that? I've talked to pain management people; they don't believe it. I know because they never do it. They never see it. <laughs> they don't believe it. It's, uh, like, it's well, the, one of the so. one of the California Society of Addiction Medicine state of the art uh, conferences had a guy say exactly that about three years ago. Yeah, you get resistance. It's like, so, well, good luck. You good luck taking one of those. Yeah. What are you going to do with that? But then it comes to Suboxone. The the one place it seems like there is literature support for Suboxone because there's a lot of it's doubt. Chronic pain. Chronic pain patients. Yeah, which and, I would agree. That's probably because probably actually there's. I saw some studies. I don't hear them quoted. But why don't they start them on Suboxone if it's that effective? I don't well because there's a because again there's a fear if you read the literature I mean if you read you read yeah. much more than I do but there, I see this this sentiment that suboxone is the next wave of opiate disaster I mean it's it, well it is <laughs> it's, it's, but what that may not be the population in which it's well, going to be bad the what, bad the bad part of it is that they're giving it to everybody everybody with, no matter what and that's it, the bad part. without follow up 
and yeah. okay, and and, and benzos. Then you got oh. Yeah. Well, trouble. my best friend's son snorting oxys and Xanax overdosed, and he had been treat in treatment off everything for almost a year, and wow. just decided that one last time. Oh no! You know, Have you guys read this guy Pool stuff? P o l p o o l e p o o l e. Yeah, he's saying that the recurring remitting sobriety is what's killing people. Well, there is that concern. Right. Let, let's recurring remitting. In other words, remitting you have, sobriety. You have periods of abstinence. That a young person oh, that's been killing has, people for forever. But yeah. yeah. So what? What the? What percentage of suboxone? What concerns? I think of a lot of people in medicine. What percentage of suboxone that's diverted is used to get loaded? Seven percent. None. Well, seven percent. So very low. What What the concern is that people are taking it and they're using it to detox themselves, and yes, then so it decreases that. the the There's cost of, of their habit. And and it, it's on and off. Yes, and on there's and a lot off. of that. I was right, using, we got to take a break. Okay. Take a break. Be right back. All conversations and information exchanged during participation in the This Life with Dr. Drew and Bob Forrest podcast or interaction with drdrew.com website is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction per se. Nothing on these podcasts or posted on this site supplements or supersedes the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the sites or podcasts. Hey, we're right back. It's uh, This Life. Bob, you're about to say something. I was using buprenorphine in the 80s. There was a guy named Dr. Howard Mark. Did you know Dr. Howard Mark? No. Was he the one hundred cocaine guy? Dr. Mark. No. Oh, was Mark. He, was he the one hundred The cocaine guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I didn't. Yeah, okay. Didn't anyway, know, know, know so buprenorphine. All my friends used it. We all used it. We used it to patch in across the United States because you'd be on tour, right? Where you couldn't get heroin. Right. So right. basically, believe it or not, you couldn't get heroin once you left Los Angeles. If you went, a typical tour was Las Vegas, uh, Denver, Minneapolis, Chicago. So you had to make it to Chicago. <laughs> to get heroin because you couldn't find it in Minneapolis you couldn't find it in Denver you couldn't find it in Las Vegas if you were a musician it's a hell of a way 80s. to live isn't it trying to so, manage all that so what you did was you had these ampules of buprenorphine you just shoot it in your stomach and you wouldn't be sick and play your concerts and have your day off and then get to your heroin that that patching together is and how buprenorphine you used, used to get high used. on it too if you use enough if you mix it with coke oh. <laughs> you don't get high I mean, you know what Patients I have that have solid recovery have, and it just a hundred percent of the time they'll say, "I do not get euphoria from from the Suboxone." From me, if you if you mix it with coke and shoot it, see, for for a couple of years I didn't know you. I, they told you you die if you mainlined it or whatever if you yeah. intravenoused it. And then, a friend of ours that just passed away a couple of Scott days ago is the one that told me, "No, no, no, you can mix it up with coke and you can do it." Yeah, right. And that's when all hell broke loose. Now you don't, you know, you can, you, if you like shooting coke, if you like stimulants, and then this suboxone will keep you on a baseline like what you'd use heroin for in a speedball. Right. But what my concern is amongst the practitioners, a large group of, pra- a very large uh, medical group in Southern California, there's, there's this huge uh, bias against it because. Against. Uh, suboxone really yes oh no we're not allowed to for, they're not allowed to use it for chronic pain in our system oh. um and so i'm allowed to to if they have an addiction history and chronic pain but it's the interesting thing some of the basic science stuff i read it reverses the yeah. hyperalgesia yeah. opioid induced hyperalgesia no which i is would think it'd be good for the chronic pain patients right that makes sense to me it right. just is it's just not working for the kids i'm i listen i gave up on grown adults getting their lives together a long time ago if you're past 40 and you haven't got your shit together you're probably not going to well kids okay I, it's true short, it's true i'm sorry yeah. it's short, fucking true i think short-term opiate addiction to suboxone and i don't think i think people that are taking medication whether it's methadone or or suboxone and they're 17 or 18 they've been using opiates for six months i want to be to get them into total sobriety oh, yes, and a of course i've i've been yelled at it had people probably people you know that are very prominent and, and aa is anonymous but there are people yeah. that are more prominent and respected suboxone's a killer it's it's just there's no difference between it and any other opiate addiction and oh, well, you know, I just disagree. Okay, here's what, what, what I a question for you. Question: If someone goes to an AA or NA meeting and they're on Suboxone, can they say they're sober? The doctors, we all need I to be more. Didn't. We need to. Here's in the in the old days in NA, 
Right. If you were on methadone, this is a typical share of the old hardcore dudes. Yeah. Be like, yeah, I've done dope in 14 years, been on the dome for this amount <laughs> since night, since this date. The sober date was the date they went on methadone. Mm. And they would be very forthcoming about it right off the bat. And no one questioned whether their quality of life was better, whether they were good members in good stead. Nowadays, people lie about it. And they're told to lie about it by their primary care physicians, mm. by psychiatrists. At a meeting? That, that, yeah, but there's this real understanding of the 12-step community doesn't believe in it, so it's nobody. It's not their business what, no. what's between no. you and your doctor, and they're reminded of the HIPAA, th- you know, the HIPAA and all HIPAA that, oh, so, HIPAA. of HIPAA. So they're told, you don't have to tell people what your medical situation is, mm. and so people are dishonest, and it's created dishonesty about it, and then, of course, there's an animosity about it, and a... And a, 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 a there's just right, a right, lot right. of but, sneakiness about it. Okay, so why do you have to tell people what... It used to be that with tricyclics or antidepressants. In the 80s, I remember some old, you know, guys in AA, that you, well, you're not sober if you're on an antidepressant. Yeah. You're not sober. But so Suboxone, though, if you're not getting euphoric and you're taking a set dose... It does activate the reward system. It does. And, uh, and although weekly, but it does. And I... I've just I never see anybody listen if it's working I, I think it can work for some people be life saving for some people there's no doubt in my mind but the fact that it's given to everybody who ever gets opioid addiction and they never go do the tough work of getting them off because the patient's uncomfortable what are you going to do he's uncomfortable he got the 8 milligrams he's uncomfortable yeah they're uncomfortable what the medical I, I that, think that, what you should probably understand about the 12 step world is they're going to be bullied habituated they're going to not feel a part of being on it, so they're eventually going to want to be off of it. And it's so painful, however long you've been on it, to get off of it. It's terrible to get off. And it, and the problem is, so somebody is in AA for two years. They finally get bullied into submission. They're going to go off. They've been on four for two years. What they're signing yeah, but if they're up for? If they're on two or four million, they should just stay on it. And they've been doing well for years, and they're that's a recovery. That right. you said you said that person in recovery, that person in recovery. Well, why, the problem well, is here's my the, thing the ones is, on sixteen and thirty two also say here's I'm in recovery. My th- but my thing is if you're on Suboxone, why are you going to AA? Don't go. Well, but they might need the, the support. They're going to get more animosity than they're no, going to no, get no. support. I, I've got, a, I've got, I can think of some old timers I have that had great support. I mean, I've got a guy that's a, a medical train wreck. I mean, he has incredibly well documented, uh, you know, his spinal cord, all kinds of. Anyways, and he was sober and going to AA, sponsored people, and uh, and he's was on, on Suboxone. He's on Suboxone now, but he's still he's extremely active. He's not on a high dose. He's sponsoring people. He doesn't take anything else for his his chronic pain. He doesn't get any shit from AA members. No, well, not where I am. I don't know what he's. I don't go to the meetings with him. I don't know if he's not saying it. He's I've not other, saying it. He's not saying it. Probably. Yeah. So what I I the program we have we require people. It's like sort of when you start out on Suboxone, it's ninety meetings in ninety days. You got to have a sponsor. You have to see our therapist once a month. You have to be. What happened to the naltrexone implants? I liked that. It's it's a different. Well, there's still naltrexone. You, you mean Vivitrol and no the implants. Well, uh, you offer the. It just depends. Like you can offer it to people, but it's. I don't think the. What do you think, Drew? The success of that. Well, that comes. You couldn't even do that till way down the line. You first have to get somebody sober and abstinent to right to put in that something like that. Right. But but yeah, I agree. Those are good ideas. And getting off Suboxone, my experience is once if you have somebody down to two to four milligrams, the people that are successfully going to uh, completely taper are they are the ones with a good program with a strong program. Somebody. That's just and and you're right. It's just giving everybody suboxone scares me. But yeah, and giving them high doses and then not doing the work of getting them off. That's no, all. You, That's what I, and you know the guy that was here, Steve from Delaware. He yeah. he also owns a string of suboxone methadone clinics. And their concern is that the government, the way they reimburse it, they uh, if you want to have a program that requires a strong recovery and going to meetings, they're going to go to the good guy down the street that has one meeting a week's a requirement right, and right, get suboxone. Right. So. Right. That's a huge problem when right. you talk about uh, well, because NIDA largely sees Suboxone as the solution. They they see it as that's it. That's all you got to do. Just put them on the magic pill, and they're fine. It's a lot of that thinking and the, and the research. People that don't actually do it. Well, it'll be a di- it will be a disaster if yeah. you allow reimbursement, public funding, 
one meeting a week. It, it, it's well, the qu- the real question is whether somebody on Suboxone is truly sober, like somebody who's completely abstinent. And I got to say, they're not. I guess so, I think they are. I so, have I have so to tell then, patients that because so then, then they don't, why can't they drink? If they only had two or three beers a day, couldn't they well, just go and be sober? Drew, Drew is basic science correct, but just the patients that I talk to, and I and and again, I think it's the euphoric uh, potential of buprenorphine is so. And understand, low. AA has no opinion officially, no. but every AA member has an opinion about Suboxone that I know of. Yeah, well, right? I, we're not going to solve this tonight. This afternoon, are we right? done? No, I want to talk about something. Let's talk about something less heavy. We're, we're fighting and fighting and fighting about Suboxone, and I, I just makes me terribly uncomfortable because we're not going to solve anything. Well, how do we get the public? How do we get somebody to say you have to do more in recovery to well, get the but pill? He, well, here's my concern. My concern is we're going to somebody's going to hear this podcast and go, Uh-oh. they hate Suboxone. I'm never going to take Suboxone. Somebody who needs it is going to say that. Or I love Suboxone. Right. Uh, or I think we're having... Wait, hang on. I like Suboxone for older people. Right, let me just qualify. Or somebody who's on Suboxone is going to go, oh my God, i got to get off this stuff right. when they shouldn't. Or somebody who is uh, you know, not a candidate for detoxing and is in demanding to be detoxed. Right. I know. They, I it's, it's a great, what about a detox what drug? Saying. I think it's a great safe detox Of course it is, but okay. no one ever takes them to zero. That's what bothers oh, yeah, me. I do. Well, but they—you know what you're doing. They, what they get is they keep them on eight or sixteen at, or thirty-two, even because the patient gets at the, uncomfortable at the for-profit primary care doc who's trying to make some extra money. Well, whatever it is, they, I don't think they understand. Okay, addiction. very good. They but, also believe their patients, which is a terrible mistake. <laughs> no, it's a terrible mistake. Yeah, that their disease makes them lie. That's the nature of the condition. Yeah. And so if you don't understand that they're lying, and if you don't understand that they're going to be uncomfortable and you've got to help them and through that, s- then it's going to be bad times. And they're the selling patient. a Suboxone to buy heroin. It's going to be bad for the patient. And yeah. that's our responsibility, not the patient's yeah, responsibility. Right. That's the, their nature, their condition makes them like that. Ours is to be able to see through that, anticipate that, and work with that. And that's why we need, you know, that's why we use teams, and that's why we have multiple checks, and that's why we like them in a contained environment. I mean, there's many different reasons for that. But anyway, so let me just summarize it, that, that we are... We are exa- pr- we are essentially neutral to Suboxone. Let me just say this right now: I have Suboxone in my car. I'm titrating a friend of mine at my house right now. Okay, so you so you, right. I yeah. believe in yeah. Suboxone. So, so it has utility. So, right. We're all just concerned. Very about careful, it. Drew. I, I, was, <laughs> I wasn't going to leave it at my house. He'll tear the place up looking for it. This <laughs> morning, after three weeks, you'll be out of the country by then. No problem. Um, how's your experience been, Bruce, with the Corolla Network? I have some questions about that. Uh, the Corolla Network. Yeah. Well, I'm codependent, so I get abuse. I go when they call me. Well, that's what I'm Adam to, kicks me out of there once in a while. When that's he what I like want to talk to you about because he he abuses me too, and uh, and then he idealizes and treats like with like saintly uh, Mark Ergos. So attorneys, he treats with great reverence, and anyone that's a physician, he could because we are so sort of caretaking. Yeah, he just shits on us. But he says he loves me. He says he loves you. After he shits all over us. Yeah, and yeah. literally last last time I was with him, I had to go. Are we gonna Are we gonna keep doing this thing or not? What, where do, Where do you want to go? How 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 bad? Well, he fundamentally be? respects you more than me. <laughs> I don't think so. He tells me I'm smarter, and then he and then he winks at me. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they made a song up about me, which is very, very insulting. No, it should and be very, uh, it looks like a no, like tip of the hat. Oh, Mike, yeah. Mike Catherwood would said to me, Bruce, you shouldn't let him, shouldn't let him call you spaz. But no, Adam's, you know, he's uh, a narcissistic Asper, Aspergerian. I agree. But and, and, uh, we say that with love and peace right, and love. Exactly. And peace but and love. he's one of the luckiest guys in the world. So come on. Yeah. Well, I like his, I mean, you know, I'm a, I love cars. I would, I would probably compromise myself, except medically. To just, no, I like you imagine luck. Being him? Uh, no, it's impossible. No, no so, so so let's talk about talent versus luck, opportunity, right? When you meet, there's a lot of things that are interesting to me. That luck is a huge factor in success. Yeah, you have to be ready for luck when luck happens. But I always think of Adam as really l- lucky. He's just lucky. He's lucky. He, that he met you. He's lucky. Love lines. He's lucky. He's lucky. He lucked into podcasting. He was the first guy in there with millions of listeners. He, he, he's just he lucky. Would, he's lucky. He's right. He would actually kick your ass physically. Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't. You he, don't see, think it's lucky? Uh, no. He no. he is his perception. His perception would be well, he, first of all, he'd express out, great outrage, and then he would say, "No, no, 
people like me were lucky enough to have found somebody like him to hook my caboose to, and so he could carry me along. But he's funny. But there's millions of people that are funny. I understand. It well, just he does seems say like that he's too. in the right place at the right time, many times over a well, twenty-year period he of time. Say, but he would say like. Well, I went over to K-Rock when they said they have a boxing instructor, and I hung out there for three days until they right. let me talk to Jimmy. And I thought, Jimmy, I said, hey, man, I can teach you how to box for this boxing match they were having. And then while he was teaching him how to box- He, he was funny. He was funny. And Jimmy said, you should make a character. And so he did the hard work of making up that character and making sure he delivered. The point I'm is he delivered the whenever the opportunity was Yes, developed. yes. And I'm saying most successful people do the hard work. Yes. But luck and I-, I But everybody has luck. And luck is only in retrospect. It's opportunity that looks- Luckily, because you delivered in the moment. I'm sure there's a lot of things I did that didn't pair. I, pan I, out. I've been around since nine, 89 or 90. I yeah. started filling for Drew. I saw Adam show up on the scene. And first of all, two things. First of all, I think Adam is a genius in terms of he has a mem- he has a photographic memory for hearing things. And oh, he's, yeah. he's very quick, his ability to associate quickly. With a metaphor. He, with thinks, a meta- he thinks amazing, in metaphors. Amazing. He thinks in metaphors. Yeah. Right. And what Drew does, and I tell Drew, and he's, it's like I'm trying to blow hot air up his ass, but <laughs> he, no other doctor could do what he does. I, I would, if, I, if you put me in his place for one week, by the end of that week, I'd be fired at HLN. I would have done something obnoxiously stupid yeah. at, at Loveline because my foot lives in my mouth, and I, I tend to, uh, well, uh, stutter when I'm trying to answer. There are numerous reasons. Drew is a Teflon. He can handle difficult situation uh, questions and medically challenging questions, and sometimes very difficult sexual fluid. or dr- he's fluid. I don't know how he's done it all these years doing Love Line and everything else. So, don't uh, you feel you're lucky? No, 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 no. I no, do. he's lucky. I'll tell you why. You know why we're wow. sitting here? Because K Rock said the fuck word. <laughs> What? <laughs> That's why we're all sitting here. Remember, you you used to hang out and you liked it, and Freddie Snakeskin, and they had to have a public service. <laughs> no, nothing with the fuck word. No, 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 no. What did they say where they were well, going to get fined? You know, do what? you know the history of radio. No, it's oh. nothing to do with getting fined. Okay, nothing. what was it? I, I why did they need I, a public service announcement? Not a public service announcement. Uh, they, show. They, every show has a public service required. Every station did. Okay. has a certain number of hours per And you week. were hanging out, and they said, do it. No. No. Uh, I, I can't tell you the whole story because I've been sued multiple yeah. times over this issue. <laughs> so I, I'll be happy to tell you the story. I'd be happy to tell anybody the story. It, it, just that the, the, the suing has, is just what makes it impossible to talk about. So, See, I like the chance and circumstance and luck of life. And to me, it's that you were a fan of music. And that's why you were able yeah. to be in the right oh, place at the right time. There's serendipity. And yes, I think that's what I'm talking about. That serendipity. Is from luck. Adam has more serendipity than anyone else. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. You don't think so? I was there when they tried. Remember, they had you and someone else doing Love Line. Yeah. The, the combination or the chemistry wasn't there with the other person, yeah. and it had to work out. I was there for the whole decision. Are we gonna, I mean, I don't know everything, but just yeah. should we syndicate? How would we syndicate? We need a team that could carry syndication. That can carry MTV. And you rode the grunge MTV thing with the TV show. There's a lot of serendipitousness that well, went I, on. I, I was, Without Nirvana and, I, I, and the Chili Peppers, there's no Love Lines well, TV show. There's not. Oh, I don't think so. I think that was that was about it, the grind was, and singled out. But they were doing TV shows at that point, not videos. The but, whole thing but, it was groundbreaking to talk about the stuff you talked right, about right. on a very high uh, a lot of, what do you a lot of listeners yes, uh, in a very well the highly visible. It way. was right. the explosion of alternative music that that had a lot to do with it. it <laughs> Who's is. this guy? Is this guy your friend or what? It is. <laughs> Well, in any event, we 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 went on MTV. The and, public and, service and announcer, you, the public no service public, show on on the heavy metal station, didn't get a TV show. I said because it wasn't me and Adam. Because, it, well, <laughs> see, I don't know. Yeah, yeah it wasn't funny. The, it wasn't the, funny. The producers had no interest in music, none whatsoever. Wow. I guarantee you that. And when we and when we did the show. One of the producers did say, you know, it was we lucked out in that both you and Adam looked directly in the camera, seemed comfortable, and could deliver lines and be interesting. He goes, that felt lucky to us. But Adam couldn't read. So when he had to read, like, a <laughs> card under the camera that said, like, the time of the show, CBS, you know, see Joe, Joe Smith on NCIS, he, he couldn't read. So we had to learn how to read that year. He had to really, that was not lucky. That was him working his ass off to be able to read these. He, he actually memorized what was on the card before he went on the show. Again, hard work. And I think also the reality of you don't you, think a lot of people did hard work that didn't get the opportunity. Oh, sure. But the chemistry that are there, just as you funny? irritate Adam. Ish. 
you, what you irritate Adam, right? I irritate Adam, yes. And I think, and in a true, it's not a, it's not a put on. And well, I let think me that's give you, part let, of the chemistry. It is part of the chemistry. But let me give you a uh, analytic interpretation. Of this, uh, that remember, he never had any caretakers in right. his life, and you and I are professional caretakers, right? <laughs> and it probably makes him really uncomfortable to be around but people that actually give love. a shit and T- care and listen. He needs us to, he needs us to listen. That's right. all he just. We have to look right. Does that to you oh, too? Yeah. If you, if you, if I look at my phone, he freaks the fuck out. Yeah, yeah. So while he can't tolerate the closeness and the looking. He also can't tolerate the leaving, even if it's for a second. Hold on, hold so on. That's though. what irritates. Hold we're, on. We're much though. more flexible with that, right? Right. Oh. I think that's what kind of the emotional base. Crazy. Let's man. talk about another comedian because you guys are so emotionally tied to Adam. I don't even <laughs> know the guy. So, so Louis C.K. has always been mm. funny. Yeah. Do you it's, know Louis? I love him. Do you know him though? Yeah, I know. Okay. But it's the right time. Yeah, that's he stuck true. with comedy long enough that the society became. He's that lucky? the perfect. Is that lucky? Person. I agree yes, with you. It's luck. No, is it luck that he stuck with it over all those years and all no, that? No, that's hard work. Okay. But there are other people working hard also that we who don't, don't know. have that yeah, success. You're right. You're right. All right. I'll get There's you. something about being ready for the moment, yeah. and yes. you're lucky if the moment happens. If it doesn't, but and the, wh- who it does happen to, uh, that's luck. On the yes. other hand, I think yes. one of the reasons I fill in for you, I remember. Let's see. There were people that came and brought their own news team that wanted to. Do the same thing. Well, uh, there are people. There are other people that want to. Oh, I could do it better. And oh yeah, there's all kinds of crap oh, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And oh, so I the, welcome competition. That's no problem. Competition is like there's no it. competition. Yeah, no, no Brad, welcome. I, competition make, only makes you better. That there, there is none. I was at Irwin one time when they were interviewing psychologists. This is the, that the, were coming these in. the people that produced our uh, television show. There was oh, like so, so there was like oh. eight like very attractive women who are psychologists that were coming in to audition for a TV show. And I was like, wow, Drew created this whole world. You know what I mean? That they want to have a TV show. They're real oh, psychologists, I see. I see, I see. but they want to have a TV show. Yeah. Hmm. And I think their models, because the age break off is that their model was they were 14 and saw you. Well, the, the, the most, I gotta be honest, the most horrifying thing anybody <laughs> ever says to me is they went into a field of medicine or psychology so they could be on TV. That's the most horrifying thing you could say. You know, somebody was Dr. Ray, the, the 90210 doctor, the plastic surgeon. He's an excellent plastic surgeon. He's a nice guy. But he went, I saw what you were doing, and I thought, and he, and he was an actor at that point, an out-of-work actor. He goes, how can I get on TV? I'll become a doctor, and then I'll be on TV. <laughs> I was like, oh, I did not intend that at all. you got to be kidding me. How crazy uh, is that? Well, going to plastic surgery, it's you know, it's a mirage. It's it's going. Yeah. To, it's the same create creating it. But that's then he scary. did go to TV, yeah. and it's like, I don't, please, anybody listening, do not go into a caretaking profession to be in media if you happen to also be in media god bless you don't but you think do it's lucky, your job but don't you think it's lucky obama became president it's luck it was the right time no. in the right weird place and he had sure. the right speech yeah no that's the truth no you know what the crossroads are what? that's how he became president he went to the crossroads <laughs> oh, the <laughs> like robert johnson did robert johnson. sold his soul i don't i believe it i saw him give that speech at the democratic national convention you know the when gore and i said in eight or 12 years that guy could be president if he if he sticks with the senate and sticks with it in four years he was president yeah well anyway how adams look at mangria look at his producing movies he the guy i've never seen such tenacity and hard work and i think kimmel's the same way they are hard working Although Kimmel, they're the only yeah, comedians you know. They're the only comedians you know. That's I know true. hundreds of comedians who work way just well, as hard. Uh, all right. Well, I want to hear what, what's your. So, how do we? What do we do? Can we discipline Adam or what? What? Uh, uh, no, it just troubles me. I, I, if he treated everybody the same as he treated you and me, I wouldn't be as upset as seeing him lick the the rear end of the attorneys that are in his life. That <laughs> bothers me. He just and they, you know, they can do no wrong. They yeah, can well, say no wrong. They're do not. You, do you wish you'd become an attorney? This is the second time attorneys come up today. Uh, no, I could never do that. Yeah, th- ever, ever, ever. But, but I, but I, you know, attorneys affect my life dramatically <laughs> in lots of ways. They saved not, you, th- never they, in a good way. Unless the, uh, I need one. Dick saved you. <laughs> yeah, some some attorneys are good. They're yeah, on no, our no, side. That's right. You're absolutely right. And there are there are people that are amazing guys that are attorneys and and gals too. I just love giving them shit. But but the law generally over the last thirty years, at least in medicine, has worked in ways that has harmed. You see Alice and Treasel on TV all the time. I've seen her. She's on TV. got a Channel Five show. Mm-hmm. Ask an attorney for free advice. 
They don't have boundaries. They have walls. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, and, and, we, and we forget free advice, even within the context of our daily work with patients, most of what we do is unpaid. Right. Most of it. Especially, yeah, in a, internal medicine, yeah. addiction medicine. Yeah. But, you guys really don't like my luck thing. No, no. I, did not, I did not like it. I, I, I kind of There's so on. many people that work so hard and don't have success. See, how many, doctor, how many people you went to medical school that became doctors didn't have some sort of success in life? Hardly any. Didn't but I some. come from the arts. So if you became a, a licensed medical doctor yeah. and you didn't have a successful life where you could actually pay your bills and have a Before family that. and have a life. No, once you became a doctor, yeah. how many failed doctors are there? Oh, it's lower. Yeah. Low. Yeah. I come from music and the arts and comedy. High. High. Yeah. There's one in a million atoms. There are 999,999 people that work just as hard. That's my point. And that somehow opportunity comes to certain people. That's, that's all I'm saying. Was Jimi Hendrix lucky? He was lucky in that he met Chaz Chandler, that he went to London, that he was smart enough to follow the direction, go to London. Yes. Right, but I mean, he taught, he was the guitarist that Eric Clapton would watch and go, I don't know what's going on and, here. And be so, careful, you said yeah. he, he's smart enough to be, he's smart, smart enough to make a decision yeah. to be lucky. Yes, <laughs> to make opportunity happen. Well, if he stays in America, nothing ever happens. There's a hundred guitar players that could play like Jimi Hendrix or we're going to play like Jimi Hendrix. Uh, I don't know, but anyway. Well, that's a subjective but, argument. But, but there, the point is well taken. There are a lot of great creative figures out there that never come to light because they don't have that other piece, right. whatever it is that there's gets a, people to... There's I would, a 99.9% failure in the audience. I don't know. Yeah. I use a sperm analogy. Our sperm luck is the one that made it there lucky is, or is it just... It the was, hardest swimmer? The hardest swimmer. Well, but it came out first maybe <laughs> and it happened in the lineup better yeah. and it also was the hardest swimmer. And eh. Well, it's an interesting, interesting way of thinking concept. about it. So yeah. I was hoping you had an end game to get back at Adam. Maybe I don't get back at him. I, I'd like to get him or to. to I'd like to rile him, but I think I've riled him a little too much. I got thrown out of there. I've never I, even heard anything he's, he's ever done. Well, I the way to. we could rile him is we could. I don't really? know how to download podcasts. Oh, Jesus. Uh, we could. The we last could, thing we could I quit. saw Adam do was your TV show. With the, the, the MTV? MTV show. Yeah. That's more of the same. Or the Minsk show. Wasn't there man a man show? Man show, yeah. But there was like five hosts. Well, he and Jimmy were the hosts for most of it. Wasn't the John Sally on it? Yeah, John Sally was on a car show he had for a while. Yeah. Different oh, show. I have seen the thing show. that he does with the with the houses. I like that. Oh, yeah. But but catch catch contractor. contractor. Yeah. That makes now, me that's un- makes smart. Un- Does it make you, it makes me uncomfortable. Idea. Yeah, yeah, me too. That's I, just I smart. That. that was smart. Well, that's, that's another one of his ideas. Yeah. Well, anyway, Mangria. Lucky? Not. Mangria? Fortified wine. I had to say, I can't support this. Uh, not only can <laughs> I not support it, I drank some the other day. And it, it killed me. I had this much, and I was. Oh, it's very it's intoxicating. Re- it's it sneaks up on you. Yeah. Well, oh I'm a my, lightweight. No, but. it was really like un, like I was not happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> Mangria. He made yeah. it a drink that's now selling all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> there it's you an go. Alcohol drink though. <laughs> All right, let's uh, should we wrap this thing up. Nate, is it about that time? Or are we like, who knows? We'll keep talking until you guys have anything else you want to discuss before we about this life, about what's going on in the world. What's going on in the world? Let me hash is, things out. You know, the fun stuff that's going on in the world is the Golden State Warriors, my friend. If you want to see perfection, watch oh. a Golden State Warriors basketball wow. game. They are the most team oriented, doesn't matter who scores. Pass the ball, play basketball the way it's meant to be played, and they are the best. Right, it's, that. Not it's if you're beautiful. a Knicks fan. You're it's right. beautiful to watch. I, epigenetics I learned about. I was with, with Steve. We went to uh, the Scripps Institute, met with I the digital medicine director. I love that stuff. Tom, that the guy named Don Jones. Isn't that well, fascinating? Yeah. yeah epigenetics. Yeah. I And then looking at future ways of uh, diagnosing, early diagnosis. Topol, Dr. Topol. You Don't know him. Okay. Uh, do you listen to Howard Stern? Yeah. Okay. Only when he interviews people. I have people. never listened to Howard Stern either. But I, his interviews are unbelievable. He's the most amazing interviewer I, because he has a childlike inquisitiveness that just gets... But he, it's been his since his analysis. How he goes to analysis he, three days a week. How much did yeah. he get bought off on by Sirius? How much did they give him? $87 million Another five, million, five years, I don't know. 80, don't know. $80 million, something yeah. like that. 
But analysis has made all the difference. He couldn't do interviews. It was all the other. uh, When it's when it's Tam mom, I can't listen. Yeah, I kind of like that too. But 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 I will I will because because he brings in people with interesting pathologies. You know, (laughs) Bigfoot. You know, can you figure out what that guy is? Anyway, but be that as it may, the the um, the interviewing the analysis has given him an instinct to sort of follow people's feelings and you know where people are at instinctively, and he connects very deeply and. And he always, and the other thing, you know, because uh, I've been the object of his interviews a couple of times, and the other thing, he, uh, by the end, you know, you're something's gonna, he's gonna do something to make you sweat, yep. even if he's kind to you the whole time. By the end, you will break a sweat every time. It, I, the last time I was in there, by the end, I thought, oh, I'm feeling pretty good. This is a, it's gone kind of well, and then, uh, then he turns it, boom, he just comes into you, and you, I break a sweat. And he asks you questions that are extremely intimate, extremely difficult, or extremely revealing, and you just you just got to go. You Why just is go that hard? Whatever he says, you, Why is that hard? To to it's you feel exposed. You feel exposed. No, but why is why is he so so good at it? Good, you you just need to listen. You should listen. Yeah, yeah. It's really a master class. It's boring to me. I did no. listen the up interviews, to the end. The interviews. I told Kimmel. He just interviews people that I'm not interested. Oh in. my God! I've just heard in the last couple of weeks he a uh, Don Henley interview was amazing. Oh, I don't Drew give a fuck about Don Henley. <laughs> Drew oh Barrymore. No, but uh, Drew, Drew Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler was Adam, that was hasn't fantastic. made a good movie in 20 years. Good. But the interview. I'm interested in really interesting people, who, not who? people who used to be interesting who, be who are still famous. Who would be interesting? You just mentioned five people that aren't interesting okay. who used to be. Let's famous. try to get somebody in here that you think would be Bernie interesting. Bernie Sanders. Who would be interesting to you? Who uh, Chris Rock? What he's going through? He's been yeah. interviewed, I'm sure, by him multiple times. All right, Rock. Who else? No, Rock won't go anywhere. Be interviewed right now. I think he's going through a hard time in life with divorce or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, it's really ugly. Mm-hmm. I, I love Chris Rock. I love Louis. I love Aziz. You know, I got to meet Aziz the other night at the uh, the uh, the comedy what? cellar. Oh yeah, we were there. You <laughs> yeah, were there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and remember what he said. Have afterwards? you seen Master of None? Yeah, you I got like it. See I know it. I like it. I've seen it's it. So but, great. but how about the fact that I goes, your dad really gastroenterologist? He goes, yeah. Who <laughs> who would be interesting? Aziz's father's Jack? gastroenterologist. Can you believe that? It's uh, hysterical. Aziz Ansari's father really is a gastroenterologist. Yeah. I interview um, Jack White. Interview yeah. Tom York. Right, interview we, really on, interesting right. people. Work so on Jack. I, I met Kimmel. I yeah, met Kimmel. I was talking to Kimmel. I said the one person I want to meet Stern because I'm from Long Island. Oh, I'm yeah. the same age. I got chased out of the yeah. same. Parks. What did Jimmy say? Uh, the same. I. He said, "Really?" So you see that picture that he drew of him and I, and uh, he, I, he I don't like think to meet I, new people. He does not, and like I don't want to meet. I don't care is, about meeting celebrities, but I've and my you know father Jewish, mother Christian, same as uh, you. I think yeah. so. Yeah. But he's, I think right. Stern's fascinating in terms of his... his Let's wrap this game up here, shall we? Uh, gentlemen, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Pleasure as always. Don't listen to Stern. Who? You need to connect with your family in the car and not... Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't listen with these guys. That's yeah. Bob's yeah, that's the way. Yeah, right? connect. Yeah, don't listen to music. You can listen to music and connect you with your... kids, your, turn Stern... Turn, turn everything off and talk to your kids Stern. in the car. It's the best therapy in the world, best way to feel connected. Right. That's it. Okay. Thank you guys. Thank Great you, Bruce. Being here. Bruce, has there any websites or anything that you want to be a plug or? Uh, I'm going to Coral the Network. If I look for you there, or Dr. Bruce H at the Twitter thing, but at, at Dr. Bruce H. Yeah, got it. All right. Hey, we appreciate you supporting this podcast. Uh, be sure to click through on the Amazon banner at doctor.com or at thislifepodcast.com. Uh, a little wind in the sails of the podcast, but it doesn't cost you a thing. Share it with friends. Share it with friends. Share yeah. it with friends. Right. Use the share function at iTunes, or, or you can get the podcast there. But uh, do tell a friend because that's the only way we're going to be able to keep doing this and uh and support the products that support this if everyone sent it to their mom that would help all right we could do that also check out podbayfm.com you can download the show there facebook slash dr drew check us out and uh thanks for listening boy there ain't no use in dropping off the planet i know where you are i know where you've had it but no way, no one will feel this good. Feel this good. Feel this good. I know my words are sounding like static, but I get you so high, like an attic. And one kiss on this, I'm understood. Setting me up, knock me down in one single motion, baby. Working your magic like you made a serotonin. Babe, ah, honey, 'cause you.
Without you, you. Yeah. Yeah. 